0: Jonathan Wiseman here with jysmarketing.com, and today I have been invited by Mr. Judge Graham of judgegram.com to come to his home. Thanks for inviting us into your home.
1: Yeah, man. I'm glad you're, uh, you guys made it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one piece. So we're in Dallas. We're at your home, and we're in the money lab right now. The money lab. What you, you like the money lab, it's, right? Man, I love it. The house is amazing. The lab's amazing. I know we're going to be touring the house and playing around a little bit today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking forward to those steaks and that tequila you promised me. I, I got it ready. So it's it's about to go down. Well, I guess to get everything going, why don't you tell me a little bit, you know, we, we know each other from junior high. We started, said that about 25 years ago?
1: Man, that... that saying that out loud
0: is scary. Yeah, right? makes me feel yeah. old, huh, yeah. you too? Yeah, for sure. Too soon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so junior high, yep. uh, Greatwood, Sugar yep. Land, Texas. Yep. Uh, what was it Lamar Consolidated? Lamar Consolidated. Man, we won't go into detail about those days, Yeah, yeah. other than uh, there's some skateboards on the wall. <laughs> uh, we used to ride skateboards together, yep. tear up the neighborhood. Uh, but let's get into, I kind of went off into, uh, moved to Florida. And that was really one of the last times we spoke Mm -hmm. and uh, circled back around, mutual friends, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of brought us back together recently. Uh, So it's great to be back in your life. Yeah, crazy. I
1: mean, literally 25 years is probably the last time we really spoke. Yeah. And now you're here. It's great. Crazy. Real cool. So I'm
0: excited. (laughs) Well, tell me, I haven't seen you since then. Yep. So let me know, you know, a little bit about your journey. You're one of the number one authoritative figures in in the US right now. Uh, We'll we'll talk about your book, Scale with Speed and some of the other ones in the money sheet. Uh, But tell me about your journey and how you got to where you are now.
1: Yeah, so quickly go through. So high school, uh, Lamar consolidated. I know you left. Um, Ended up going to TCU. Football brought me to to TCU, which is here in the DFW area. And from there, realized really quick I had no career uh, in the NFL. (laughs) So I I decided, you know, uh, I'm gonna focus on school. And so, really started focusing on school. And there was a a program called the eBusiness Program. And at the time, that program was core competencies in finance, marketing, and computer science. And you had to have like an amazing GPA to get in, and you had to have all these things. And this is when I knew. Um, I was destined for success in in sales. Um, I sold my way into this program. I said, listen, my my GPA is not what it should be. You know, uh, I have no experience in this, but there's not going to be one person, I promise you, that's going to work harder than me in this program. And and, and I'm going to make you proud. So sold my way in and ended up uh, almost not graduating. Did really well in the program, but started my first company in school with a uh, one of my best friends at the time in college and we grew it was a web design and development company. So this is, you know, early, late late nineties, ninety nine, early two thousand. And uh would go sell websites during the day after class, um, literally belly to belly, walking outside in a suit, hundred degree weather to small businesses, just sweat and covered out. And Uh, this is when you could sell at a premium back then right yeah and this
0: was before websites were real popular
1: right and so it was I was convincing people you know this is the next thing like you've got to be online and so we would sell them during the day and then we would build them my business partner and I at night because we had the skills then we would grow then we outsourced to india and then we kept growing and we got to like 20 or 30 people in school and full-time people and that business started to grow and we took on a bunch of expenses, right? This is probably one of the the most... Um,
0: How old were you during this time? T-
1: 21 to 26. Amazing. In that period. So we we built a uh, 10,000 square foot space, beautiful space, Herman Miller f- furniture, all these things. We went small business of the year. Um, I got another story, I met this uh, entrepreneur CEO of the year, the youngest at this thing called Comdex, I met Bill Gates, uh, just a bunch of cool things happening, right, at a really young age. But, and we'll get into this book, Mastering Recurring Revenue, the reason I wrote this book is, you know, and John, i call you John still, Jonathan, That's cool. Johnny, John, hey, John is good. So I, I realized, you know, this is project-based, Right, so I would I would go sell a website for thirty grand, fifty grand, ten grand, whatever it was, and then you would get a a payment up front, a payment halfway done, and then payment at the end. But there was no consistency, right? I was only as good as how much I could sell the next day. Yeah,
0: no residual income. No
1: residual income, but you know, I didn't know any know any better at the time. I had no mentor; nobody was teaching me this. So. we're selling and we're growing and we're growing and, and and we're getting more people and we're getting more space and we're incurring more um, expenses, and then at some point it just got out of control, right? So the nut that I had to cover was just too much, right? And so I we literally kind of started to grow out of business, and at that point, you know, I had a rock bottom, um, you know, had uh, kind of the business ended up closing down and i understood the hard way the power of recurring revenue yeah right and so fast forward um i partnered with another business partner um it was a traditional agency we turned it into a digital agency that did we built a recurring revenue model we had retainers we had uh, media commissions we had ongoing contractual revenue and really grew that company probably to about 220 people had a great team um, that helped um, do that, had a great culture, sold that company to a bigger company that was owned by a private equity company, rolled it into that company, um, took some cash, rolled some equity, and then helped that company grow um, in 18 months, repackaged, positioned them, and then we sold that company for a really large uh, transaction to another private equity company. And then at that point, um, I kind of took a break wrote a couple bucks, and I'm doing what I'm doing now.
0: Really cool. Well, going back a little bit, talking about growing the business to 220 employees, and we talk about culture. Yeah. And, and how big is culture in building a business to that size? And how, how do you build a culture when you have that many employees and staff members? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, great great question. And what I can tell you is the more people you have, the harder it is to, to hone in on that culture. But listen, uh, Johnny, for me, culture's freaking everything, right? If you, especially if you're a service-based business, yeah. listen, if you don't believe in culture, be prepared to lose, period. You want to grow a real freaking monster company, you got to have culture. It's a game changer. And I talk a lot about this. There's a difference in having culture in a growth culture. So everything I'm about is growth culture, Right so to me the difference of a, if a good company is operating well you're hitting your marketing your sales your delivery your customer service your operational things you should you, you have a good value proposition you have a good product or a good service you should see you know um, depending on what size you are this incrementality of you know 10 to 15 to 20% collapse in growth but the differentiator is if you have growth culture and you've got everybody freaking aligned and in rhythm, and they know who they are, what they do, why they do it, and what purpose they have every day towards the bigger goal, and they feel like they're contributing and being compensated to that, it becomes magical, man.
0: Well, and I want you to dive in a little further to that, because some people just assume culture is throwing a ping pong table and a skee ball in the middle of an office, and now they've got culture.
1: Yeah. It's, it's definitely not, so I, I believe every organization needs to have four core values. I think if you have more than four, it's too many, you have uh, less, it's not enough.
0: What are your four core values that you it's like to
1: implement? Creative, curious, fearless, and strategic. Those are my core four, okay? And here's where the magic happens, John. Like, if you don't have something to rally people around and empower them, then, then you're never going to have a culture, okay. And the way I look at growth culture is these core values have to be applicable to the team, and they have to be applicable to the customer. Sure, okay? absolutely. And when you do that, and you empower your people against those core values, then then you're going to win. And I will mean, give you an example. So if fearless is one of the core values, right, and I turn everything into a sales tool, right. So how do you position uh, fearless? To the customer Um, listen mr customer i know everybody's price similar to me right everybody's saying they're going to deliver faster better quality or, or you know all these different things one of the differentiators we have is we have these four core values one of them is fearless and what that means to you mr customer is that everybody my team is conditioned in their dna is to do things methodically but to be fearless to push the bounds of what's possible to deliver the most success I don't my people aren't scared i don't punish them for being fearless i I, they they take methodical calculated risk and that's the difference between us and the competitor you see how i flip that absolutely so i use those core values to empower the customer but also my people
0: well and you use those core values to build your culture so that you can then pass that down to your customers
1: 100 it's uh so so to me uh culture is key growth culture, if you're really in this game to win, and you want to grow a freaking monster company, then, then you have to implement a growth culture.
0: Real cool. So I wanted to move on. I know uh, we're going to be pressed for time today. Um, but I wanted to talk about the book you have, Scale with Speed. Okay. Uh, you sent that to me autographed. I appreciate it. Of course. Haven't got through all of it yet, but it's a work in progress. Uh, but tell me more <clears throat> about that. Why did you write Scale with Speed? So Scale With Speed, so anybody that's watching this, check it out. And that's available now on Amazon, right? So if you want Scale With Speed.
1: Yeah, Amazon, um, most uh, bookstores, and all the airports in the Hudson News. So the the premise of Scale With Speed is uh, I'm constantly learning, right? And the way you learn Sure, that's why I'm here today. The way you learn, in my opinion, thank you. The way you learn is you look and seek out people that have what you want or more in life, right? It's at least for me from a business perspective. And if you can't get their time one on one, then you do it through if they're providing videos or they're providing a course or they're providing a book, right? So through that journey of constantly learning and reading and, and, and trying to better myself from a business perspective, you know, I've I've read and listened to, you know, probably hundreds of books. And in that I always there was just not a lot of substance, right? And and maybe it's me, I am a direct, like, make it direct and make it actionable, right? And so the premise of this book is um, a culmination of all my failures and success in how I run and manage and operate a company. And uh, for those that know me, I like to move fast, right? I push things, I create urgency, I create momentum through harnessing the power of speed. And so speed... In this book is an acronym. So okay. S is start with your end game. P is pick your niche. The first E is execute with speed. The second E is energize your culture. And the last, uh, the, the D is dominate your top priorities. So I built the book in that framework. And then I give um, you know context of what those mean and how to do it. And in the book, there's actually a link to my website that has actual downloadable templates and in, in, uh, workbooks and frameworks that let you implement immediately this book to start taking action in your business.
0: Would you say that this book is for small business, big business, or all the above?
1: i say it's for all the above. I mean, I think it's for, um, it's, it's for anybody that's running. Maybe you don't own a business, but you're managing a team. This book is for you. Let's say you're uh, aspirationally thinking about starting a business this book is for you. Let's say you're running 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 organization as the CEO, this book is for you. These are practical, non-bullshit, real things that you should be implementing. And again, John, this, the difference in this book is if you're a good company, you grow at clips of 10 to 20%. By implementing this, it gives you the it factor to grow at 30 plus percent.
0: That makes sense. So for small businesses, what would you provide as the single most important advice to people that run small businesses?
1: <clears throat> so for small businesses, um, it's, it's, it's probably two things. One, how do you get super niche, right? Niche will get you rich. Quit trying to be the master of nothing. Yeah. In, in, in doing, because you're competing with sharks when, when, you, when you shotgun approach. How do you become laser focused? How do you become the market leader? in what you do. I use an example, if you want to be, you know, freaking insurance agents, you know, sell horse insurance, right? <laughs> that sounds funny. But <laughs> nice. how do you become the best freaking when somebody thinks about I need insurance for my horse, you're the you're the person.
0: Yeah, I mean, you say go narrow and deep, so it's Well, that's
1: it. And I promise there's enough market share for that, right? So small businesses get so scared of, man, if I'm going to be an insurance agent, I'm going to sell everything. Yeah. Right? Well, you freaking compete with everybody.
0: I get it all the time in business. Everybody wants to take advantage of every opportunity that they got. Right. And it's the, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out of, oh, what if I, you know, insurance guys. I have a lot of insurance clients. Yes. Yeah. And they want at- to offer every single one under the roof. And it's if you just focus on a few key niches within that realm, yeah. you'll be able to hit a home run every time.
1: Niche will get you rich, man. And
0: not just from a business perspective, but from a digital marketing perspective as well.
1: Right. So the second part of that question is, um, move fast. I mean, speed is the new currency, in my opinion. Speed is the new differentiator. We're in this environment that's 24-7, 365, and if you're not moving fast and you're not innovating quickly, you're not making decisions quickly, you're not delivering quickly for your customers, you're not servicing your team quickly, you're going to lose.
0: Well, and you talk a lot also about market leader value. So.
1: Uh, market leader, to become a market leader, um, how you position yourself as an authority, right? So on my tagline, I'm the number one authority for scaling the next thing businesses, period. Sure. There's no one better in the world than me at that. that that's, that's who I am, that's my niche, that's what I own, and then I've created market leader content behind that that's factual, that supports it, right? So once you go niche, and it's horse insurance, Right? How are you creating to become the authority in horse insurance, the market leader, to build uh, trust and authority with potential prospects and customers? And you do that by um, being niche and and, and writing white papers about horse insurance, videos about it, um, speaking at events about it, making sure your staff is the best in, in, in the trade at that. It's going so tight at what you do it allows you to become a market leader. And when you become the market leader, you win. How do you feel that video plays into that? Video is huge. Listen, anybody not harnessing um, uh, the power of video and coming with a video strategy right now is gonna be behind. Um, there was a stat I read. Uh, it, by 2020, 87% of content consumed online-
0: Of all search content is gonna be video. Everything
1: is gonna be video. Of that, I would say You know, 10% of it is pretty okay, 5% of it's good, the rest of it's shit. So there's a huge opportunity for, for smart brands and companies and marketers to really grasp, not only do we need video, but what's the power of video? How do I create market leader content? What are the appropriate channels? What's the frequency? How do I measure it? How do I optimize it? And how do I monetize it? Sure. So that to me is the next big play um, that people should be focusing on.
0: Yeah, monetizing it is the big one. And for that, you know, uh, what we're doing right now in digital marketing is everybody needs video content. So that's why we launched this podcast. And we're trying to figure out different ways to provide video that is not just, okay, here's a video asset, but also make it actionable or mm-hmm. have it to where it's actually good quality content, right. not doing a video for the sake of doing it. And we utilize those to market those across all different platforms social, websites, blogs, anything online, anything digital. Uh, and doing so, there's a lot of different social media techniques that we use from the pixel marketing, uh, the back-end YouTube marketing. Uh, what do you think as far as social goes, different social platforms, what do you think is going to be the next big social platform? It, for me, it's LinkedIn. Um, <clears throat> LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't
1: feel fatigued. Facebook feels very fatigued to me. It's getting there. It's, uh, it's saturated, it, it, it just feels sharky, right? Um, bloody waters, tons of freaking sharks. So if you're a, uh, in, when you say the next big channel, as it relates to business, right? You wanna generate commerce or a qualified lead. Um, LinkedIn feels like the new playing field. I think that there's still a lot of organic reach in LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has upped their game with tools like Sales Navigator. I, um, I think LinkedIn still feels not Facebook.
0: Yeah, it's and, still new and fresh and a lot of people are not on there right now.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the people that understand and you know the, the proper video strategy on LinkedIn, Um, have a big opportunity.
0: And we talked a little bit on the phone last week about some new products we might be putting together to launch. Do you want to speak on that now or do you want to wait for the next podcast?
1: Yeah, I think you have a big opportunity to um, own LinkedIn as a channel, right? I mean, again, going back to niche, you know, how do you start? And I would even um, go sub-niche within that, right? So um, whether it's uh, financial services or it's realtors or pick a category and become the market leader at delivering qualified links using LinkedIn as the channel. That's a huge niche.
0: Yeah, right. and we're developing a product right now so we can infiltrate that and offer that to our clients. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and speaking of new things that are, you know, going to be the next big thing, whether it's social, whether it's digital, whether it's technology, what do you think the next big technology play is going to be?
1: It's absolutely artificial intelligence. AI.
0: No, no question. So would you say that we're still about 10 years out on that, but we need to start moving in that direction? I I think it's now.
1: So here's why I say it's now. So think about the early nineties. People were selling websites for a million bucks. Right, websites you're probably building now for three grand, they were selling them for, for a million bucks back sure. then. The demand right now for AI is huge. Right, finding really good AI developers is tough. Um, understanding, not only, um, hey, can you go build something in AI? Everybody under, everybody, every company, every CFO, every publicly traded company, AI is in that boardroom meeting, and they're pounding their fist going. What the hell is AI and all I know is we need it because shareholders are saying it's important and people are saying it's important and there must be value in it. What is it and
0: how do we get it? Well, for our listeners and on smaller business levels, SMBs, how can they give me something that they'll be able to relate to or understand or a direction that they might want to go in or start looking towards?
1: Yeah, so uh, an example, so artificial intelligence is um, another way to, to, to say that is machine learning, right? So how do you um, automate and optimize, it's really automation of a certain task, right? It's scale. Um, that's how I look at, at artificial intelligence. How do you do something that it would take a person, you know, hundreds of man hours to do in a fraction of a second, Sure. right? And you harness the powder, power of, of data sets and algorithms to then um, get to, um, you, you know, conclusions quickly on things, right? So for people out here that are, um, you know, wanting to do something in, in, in marketing, how do you implement an AI into your strategy? Like your, your agency, you should build something in your ecosystem that has artificial intelligence that helps optimize the performance of your marketing campaigns, and that's gonna be a huge win. It's big value to the customer, it increases your margin, it gets them more sales, and it optimizes and creates
0: speed. It streamlines it. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So to me, I would look at, for the small businesses, don't just try to build AI to build it. Is it going to streamline a process? I talk all the time about this, Johnny, is if you wanna win in business, you have to deflate and shrink your processes speed is the speed is it man how do you how do you deliver quicker how do you get to market quicker how do you reduce things to make them quicker when you do that you yield you catapult you leapfrog competition and artificial intelligence could be a tool in the toolkit to help you move faster
0: really amazing good take on that well, before we get out of here, I know we got a ton of stuff to do today. So before we break out, I wanted you to tell me about one of my favorite things, the whim factor. Whim. Okay. What, Are you ready for this? And we're going to pop that across the screen, <laughs> Hector. Make sure you make whim real big across the screen okay. for this section. So Good.
1: whim is my thing, right? And I'm going to give uh, Grant Cardone a little, little credit for this. So he says, where is my money? Okay. So whim, no, no, that's what I say. where is my money is my thing he says uh who's got my money okay so the concept of where is my money whim, it's it's bigger than just the concept of that sounds capitalist and, and fun to say but if you look at it from a company perspective like grant was looking at it from an individual perspective like i'm waking up today where's my money how am i gonna go find it who am i gonna sell johnny has money he should be giving me money Whim, where is my money, is about a company. And here's the ecosystem of what that means, John, is when the employee goes into to work, they should be motivated on understanding how to do, do better in my life. Right. Anybody that says money is the root of all evil doesn't have it. Sure. Right. Money, money does allows you to do great things. Listen. If you don't have money and you're an asshole, you're gonna be an asshole. If you got a lot of money and you're an asshole, you're gonna be an asshole. It doesn't change you, right? It just allows you to do better things. So trust me, money is a good thing. Now, having that concept and that mindset that money is good is the employee waking up and saying, where's my money? You know, I wanna take that one extra vacation. Man, I've always wanted to drive that BMW, right? How do I generate more money for myself Will you do that by performing better for your clients, right? For, you know, if you're a a factory worker, you're delivering faster. If you're in a marketing agency, you're you're going that extra mile for the customer to get them one more result. Why, Why? Why does that matter? Because now the client's waking up, where's my money? And you start delivering for that client and the client's focusing, the client's making more money now. Well, guess what? When the client makes more money, the company that the employee is working for, where is my money, is making more money. And it's this circle of success, Sure. right? And when you get a mindset, a growth culture where people are motivated and, and compensated against success metrics that tie to revenue that allow them to progress in their career and their life financially, and it impacts the the clients the company is serving, and it helps the company grow. There's more money for everybody. It's great. And would you say that that starts at the culture? It starts at the culture. It starts at the top and the bottom, right? And it's also indoctrinating in the client, right? But I can promise you if from the team member slash employee to the client to the person running that company is waking up every day, baby, where is
0: my money? There it is. Well, there it is, folks. You heard it. Right there, from the number one authoritative figure in scaling and exiting businesses, got this book right here. It's available now on Amazon. Make sure you go check it out. Judge Graham, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely, brother. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Look forward to doing it again with you. Yeah, love to.